This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. So part of what was being said here is, is that to really pick up the story of the real life of the Scriptures, you've got to get, get your hands around uh, how it's telling the story, the way in which the characters develop, the trajectory that it's taking, uh, the emphases that it has. Let, let's, uh, we're, let, we've, we're about halfway through our time. Let's transition and let's take, a partic- well, let's take two particular issues and walk through them. Okay. Um, the first one well, is the kind of the classic that where people start. It's the issue of slavery. Um, you know, uh, the, the old discussion was, well, the Bible assumes uh, slavery. I mean, it addresses people. You don't see, you know, any revolutionary statements to put an end to it, that kind of thing. But what you see is uh, an acceptance of what's going on around it, and, and this developed into a defense uh, of, of the existence of slavery for some. Right. Uh, that was challenged, if you will, by a hermeneutic that said, but wait a minute, let's look and see at, at what's going on here about, about the dignity of the human person and what the Scripture has to say about the dignity of the human person. Or let's look at those places, particularly when we come to the New Testament after Jesus has come up, where, where um, the way in which a slave is engaged has nothing to do with the fact that they're a slave. Um, the a book has insignificant seemingly as Philemon, okay, um, putting putting the slave in the position of being equal to the Apostle Paul uh, is is shifting the way we look at that slave as a person, and and so the alternative view was to say in effect that the direction of the thrust of Scripture as a whole was asking us actually to reassess. To some degree, the way we saw the person who happened to be a slave. Um, uh, what what lessons do you think for reading ethically do we get from the from the slavery discussion? Well, I'd say several. I mean, when you've already mentioned the trajectory, mm-hmm. uh, because things become clearer with this whole idea of body of Christ and, mm-hmm. and being one in the spirit and all this kind of stuff. But what happened in, in the Old Testament discussion on slavery is that certain passages were picked and read for slavery, mm-hmm. like uh, everything according to its kind, mm-hmm. you see out of the creation narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see how this led itself to, yes, there are different kinds of humans, and so everything according to its kind. And then uh, Noah's cursing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the sons was linked – the curse was linked to blackness. I mean, right, so, right. so what you were seeing is not only was the trajectory not being captured, but then other passages were being – looking back, I would say manipulated mm-hmm. uh, according to a prior ideological, cultural, racial, social commitment. Mm-hmm. The thing that I would add to the trajectory piece uh, of what you said, Daryl, is 
the trajectory is also structural. Mm -hmm. So when you get into Old Testament law and you compare Old Testament law to other ancient or eastern law codes, what you're seeing is the treatment of slaves is is different than it is in, in other cultures. Mm -hmm. It's more humane, for instance. Mm -hmm. So and this is what you had to do in the 19th century in the U.S. You see, I mean, it's a structural discussion, mm -hmm. not only an attitude discussion. Right. And you see the structural discussion going on uh, in the Old Testament. Now, when you get in the New Testament, I think it is structural in the sense internal to the church. Mm -hmm. But the church is a structure. Mm -hmm. And so the very fact that all of a sudden that you are brothers, mm -hmm. see, that's a structural statement. Mm -hmm. I mean, James who talks right. about, you know, who sits where in the congregation. Right. Uh, and so what you're seeing are structural moves internal to the body of Christ, to the church, which will then eventually begin to permeate the rest of society. Mm -hmm. So it's a structural engagement uh, inside out. Mm -hmm. The thing that the Bible did not do uh, in itself, mm -hmm. in, inside its pages, was the structural engagements, the attitudinal differences were major, mm -hmm. but they weren't a call to revolution. Mm -hmm. Now, see, one thing is what the scripture says of orientation. Mm -hmm. Another thing is to ask ourselves, what does the scripture actually tell me to do? Mm -hmm. Now, that's a whole other issue. Mm -hmm. And what happens with the scripture sometimes is it reorients our thinking. Mm -hmm. It hasn't told me what to do. Mm -hmm. You see, if, if I'm in the prophets and it's denouncing structural oppression, well, it hasn't told me to do anything. Mm -hmm. It's just said this is wrong. Mm -hmm. So, in one sense, it's kind of good because then you've got to think through, okay, I'm not 8th century BC, I'm 21st century US, what would that look like today? So, and there's an open, so what you're suggesting is there's an open-endedness to this exactly. in terms of the application. Yeah, and so what you find is the scripture and church history become the case studies. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if we talk about the Jubilee, okay, mm -hmm. that's one structural mechanism to help poor people. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you can't do Jubilee like that now, mm -hmm. okay? So the question is, okay, if they did it that way in the 8th century, or let's say in the monastic movement, mm -hmm. they set up these convents and um, monasteries to help poor people, and St. Francis of Assisi, and, I mean, these are all mm -hmm. case studies, you see? Right. Uh, and so, uh, Acts 2, Acts 4, I mean, that's a case study. Right, right, right. So the question now is, okay, so in 21st century U.S., what would that look like? And it may look different in Guatemala than it does in the U.S., than mm -hmm. it does in Kenya, than it does in China. Mm -hmm. Okay, So that becomes now the appropriation question. Mm -hmm. Okay, How do I appropriate the ethical vision? Mm -hmm. And there again, I think, the scripture can give us guidelines and parameters. One more thing about that. Okay. I don't want to talk too long. No, but for instance, I would think that the scriptures would push us toward a nonviolent mm -hmm. parameter. Right. Okay, so... Uh, because of Jesus. And mm -hmm. so even though I see oppression, the option of of revolutionary violence to me, I think, is excluded. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't tell me what I need to do because it was written 3,000 years ago, but I think it gives me parameters about what I cannot do mm -hmm. 
in terms of, of my options. So it becomes a, a more nuanced discussion. Yeah, now this, this opens up uh, the, the, the two examples I like to bring uh, to, to kind of illustrate these tensions that we see and how you wrestle with all the pieces rather than cherry pick. Um, the two modern discussions that I think we see on the table today, one is gun control and the other is immigration. And we'll take them in that order uh, because we're in Texas. Uh, um, uh, Which is but, actually an important point. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can tell you I've had the discussion of gun control here in Texas. I've had the discussion in the Northeast. It's two very different conversations. And if you have that discussion in portions of Europe where you don't bear arms, it's a completely different discussion exactly. yet again. And so uh, uh, I remember making the point to a men's Bible study here in Texas, uh, the topic was gun control, in which I said, because we have the right to bear arms, we've already made an ethical decision that impacts the playing field about how you have this discussion. If I were having this discussion in Britain, where you're not allowed to bear arms, it's a completely different discussion mm -hmm. just because the context is so different yeah. for the discussion. Which is what we were talking about earlier. That's right. About the hermeneutical piece. And even the hermeneutical piece taken further, mm -hmm. back to the original document. Right. Is the Second Amendment even about That's right. that? I mean, is it about, well, back then we needed a militia, and yeah. so people needed to have guns if they were called up to fight a war. Right, right. Well, that's different than... You know, I don't know if the your hearers yeah. or viewers would remember Columbine, okay? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. we just recently had this killing in Aurora right. movie theater. Right. Okay, that's not the militia. That's not right. Second Amendment colonial period. Right. right? This is a whole other world. So yeah. the hermeneutical discussion is not only the placement in Texas, out of Texas. The hermeneutical right. discussion is what about that document? Right. See, have we interpreted that document appropriately? Is it just a blanket statement of the right to bear arms, exactly. or was it a statement that was designed to allow for a certain way for the country to defend itself because of the way it was structured at the time? Exactly, and its limitations at the time. That's right. Well, again, this uh, – and so what happened in this discussion, what I do in the – what I do with the gun control discussion is I go through a list of, of concerns. You know, you have the right you, – you have some right of self-protection. You have a right to protect your family, those kinds of things. Things, the kinds of things that would lead a person to say, I have the right to bear arms. But then you have, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, and you have a series of texts in the Scripture. This is the trajectory that you're mm -hmm. talking about. This is actually what I emphasize when I do this. The, the trajectory is, is that we are to be as peaceable a people as we can possibly be, that, that our first instinct isn't, to, you know, isn't supposed to be to pull the trigger, um, but, our, but our first instinct is supposed to take us somewhere else. What that what that model does is it, it, it says, lay out the entirety of the portrait of the scriptures and then ask yourself how you relate all the pieces that you have on the table to one another, along with the observation that you're making, as well as understanding the, the nature of the context that you're actually operating in, which is, which is extra biblical or extra right. scriptural in some ways. And I would, I would say that part of that discussion and you would know more about it because you'll talk about it more in Texas than we do in Colorado. But to me, it it, it has to be part of a coherent vision of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. See, and what happens is sometimes Christian ethics are basically be a good person, pay your taxes, and 
Whatever. And then you take it one issue at a one time. One issue at a time. Yeah. And so, for instance, and again, your viewers yeah. may disagree with me on this, but I'm a pacifist. Yeah. Okay? Because yeah. I think that's consistent with the trajectory of the scripture in mm-hmm. Jesus. Okay. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah. yeah. But you know, so, is, is I think through gun control, that becomes the question I ask. How does that fit in mm-hmm. to my view of what it means to be a Christian? And what should the church in, in, a, in, a, in a country not only this one, but we live here, mm-hmm. obsessed with violence, mm-hmm. uh, our video games, mm-hmm. our movies, mm-hmm. our obsession with guns, uh, and you know the macho, everyone's pushing each other mm-hmm. and standing up for themselves. In, in, in a country obsessed with violence of all kinds, what does it mean to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. See, that's the kind of question I would want to be asking. Okay, mm-hmm. So does it mean arming yourself to the teeth, mm-hmm. you know, going and asking for a, you know, concealed weapon permit. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, is, is that part of what it means to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. I mean, can you, even, can you even imagine Jesus having that conversation? Mm-hmm. You see? So that's where I would like myself and others to get to. See, mm-hmm. how does this cohere mm-hmm. with what it means to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of conversations I don't hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's shift gears here and talk a little bit about immigration, where you've got, I think, the same kind of dilemma. Yeah. Um, you've got the people who start with 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 uh, the Romans thirteen text, and we have our laws, and we've got to uphold our laws, and 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 a person who who comes into the country has violated the law, and then, of course, the more difficult part of that is that. Someone maybe two or three generations ago made that decision to come into the country. Now they have kids, mm-hmm. they have a family, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm doing this on purpose to make the question more complex, but also to make it more real right. in terms of what we're really dealing with. So now, if you talk about disciplining the person who came in, you're actually talking about, uh, according to the law, you, you're actually talking about splitting families and doing other things that we know right. the Bible gets nervous about. Right. So, so that's one side of the question. But then the other side of the question is that. Is the teaching, the trajectory, if you will, of the sojourner, uh, how the alien should be viewed, how a host country should treat an alien, what hospitality is about, the generosity of the Scripture, the emphasis in the Scripture about the gospel itself being an invitation into forgiveness as opposed to being something else, all mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And you start to line this up, and all of a sudden you realize this is a much more complex picture than simply one text. Right. Yeah. And. I mean, you open up so many lines of discussion, but let me just mention the, the Romans 13, obey okay. that. Okay. When people say we ought to obey immigration law, okay, what they've just told me is they don't know what it is. Uh-huh. Because if they did, uh-huh. they wouldn't say that. So this is talking about – this is understanding sociologically what the context is of the law that exactly. frames it. Okay. And let so, me give you an example. Okay. I mean, people have this idea. Mm-hmm. If they're here illegally, there must be an office they can go to and a form to fill out and a fine to pay. Uh-huh. Why don't they want to do that? Uh-huh. Well, under current U.S. immigration law, if you are here undocumented, there is no provision for you to get rights. Uh-huh. And, and people, they just think that well, there must be some way. And my answer is there actually isn't. So there's no line to get into, no office to go to, no form to fill out, no fine to be paid. There is nothing they can do under current law. And so that's why we want immigration reform. Uh-huh. Now, splitting families is another example where people mm-hmm. don't understand. Under current law, if 
you're undocumented and you're the dad mm-hmm. and you're picked up mm-hmm. and that will leave the mother with three kids or mm-hmm. something, two of whom may have been born here. Right. Okay, so they're citizens. American citizens. Right. Uh, under current law, if one or both parents are deported, that is not considered hardship. Mm-hmm. Okay. What would have to be, because I'm involved with someone who's actually yeah. trying to get uh-huh. all this worked out uh, in Colorado. Uh, and the son, um, the middle son, uh, is autistic. Mm-hmm. And what the immigration lawyer, one of the best uh, in, in Denver, told me is the deportation of both parents is not a hardship. The only way that that family could prove that the father needed to be there, she said, and this is the way she said it, mm-hmm. is if he's in the hospital, the little boy, hooked up with tubes, hmm. then they might consider it a hardship. From a legal standpoint. From a legal standpoint. Right, right. So, you know, under current law, there is the exception clause of hardship, mm-hmm. but to try to prove that mm-hmm. is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the few exceptions. Another exception under current law is um, again, if you're the husband, let's say I'm the wife, and you beat me. Mm-hmm. So the wife can claim some kind of asylum, mm-hmm. you see, because of abuse. Mm-hmm. That's one, that's another exception, mm-hmm. you see. So this is what people don't know. So mm-hmm. when they say, oh, they got to obey law, I'm going, well, you have no idea. How confused the law actually yeah, is. Yeah, and how, and how – see, U.S. law is about entry. Yeah, right. It's really not about once you're here because right. they don't know what to do with you once you're here except yeah. deport you. yeah. Another thing people don't know is about 40 to 45% of those who are here mm-hmm. illegally came in legally. Yes. So the idea of the fence yeah. doesn't deal with 45% of those who came in illegally. Well, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Well, what they did was they came in on student visas, mm-hmm. tourist visas, mm-hmm. temporary worker visas, mm-hmm. and just stayed. The law as it now stands does not track you mm-hmm. when your visa expires. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So, and there's no place for you to go. Yeah, there's so no you're pl- stuck. You're in no man's yeah. land. And so people don't know that either. So yeah. if I tell them, well, you know, 45% of those who are undocumented came in legally. Mm-hmm. They just assume everyone kind of crossed the border over, under, and through a fence. Yeah, yeah. Well, not if you're Asian. Mm-hmm. Not if you're African. Mm-hmm. Not if you're Canadian. Mm-hmm. We have undocumented Canadians in this country. Mm-hmm. You see, and about 20% of all Koreans, for instance, mm-hmm. are undocumented. Hmm. You see, this is the secret that no mm-hmm. one talks about, you mm-hmm. see. And they didn't come in through the fence. Mm-hmm. They came in on tourist visas or student visas and then just stayed. So this is why you need reform, you see. Mm-hmm. So one thing is the whole pragmatics 
of reforming a law that is incredibly messed up, mm-hmm. which the U.S. democracy allows us to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, we change laws all the time. That's right. Right, because we don't like them. Right. Okay. Or they don't work. Or they don't work. Yeah. And so you've got to change. And we do right, this all the time. Right. You see, why can't we do this with immigration? You see, yeah. and, and and what you're seeing then is there's other things driving the anti-immigration thing because mm-hmm. they're not thinking about because they usually don't know how pragmatically broken the system is. Mm-hmm. See? But even if they did, sometimes they still don't want it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That tells me there's more going on here mm-hmm. than just. The law. Mm-hmm. I mean, there may be, I hate to use this word, but mm-hmm. I mean, there may be some racism going on, mm-hmm. um, uncomfortableness with foreign language, foreign customs, which is all very human. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so the, the, it's, it's, it's a whole Pandora's box. Okay, so, so, so we've, got, but we do have Romans 13 on the table. It's a right. part of the equation. So right. you can't just, you don't just throw it out. Right, you don't. Um, but, uh, I think part of the point that's being made is, but when we look at the whole of Scripture, we see, we see, it, we see Israel as a community ur- being urged to have a certain attitude towards aliens and sojourners, mm-hmm. to to understand and appreciate their own experience as aliens and sojourners, which makes them sensitive in this regard. I like to transfer this in thinking about the the Christian perspective and seeing. You know, we see in the scripture a principle of offering forgiveness for people to have a new start. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's at the core of what the scripture is. And if you have any doubts about how important that is, a text like Matthew 18 is one of my favorites to bring up in relationship. This is the parable where the guy is forgiven a huge debt and then he goes out and he doesn't forgive the guy with a little debt. And so the guy who forgave him the huge debt comes back and says, You didn't get this. You should get this. <laughs> right. um, and, and there's a sense in which there is a, a willingness to. The trajectory is there's a willingness to take people in and to and to take them in on the basis of a of a start that involves an element of forgiveness in it. Um, uh, so, so that's also on the table. Yeah, and I think a, a piece in the Old Testament mm-hmm. side um, is historical memory, mm-hmm. right? You, you do this because once you were slaves, right, in Egypt, and what I see in this country is. The historical immigrant memory is pretty truncated. Weak, Weak. yeah. So, you know, St. Patrick's Day, so we all drink beer and and, and wear green. Yeah. Okay, but we don't talk about the quotas on the Irish Mm -hmm. and the Irish ghettos. We don't talk about how the Irish are marginalized. and We've forgotten the 19th century. We've forgotten the 19th century. Or yeah. we've idealized it. Right, right. Okay. Uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act, which mm-hmm. kept Chinese out of this country, even though we imported them for labor to build our railroads during, mm-hmm. the, during the gold rush. Okay, so then we put in place, you know, this Exclusion Act that was in place for, you know, 63 years. Mm-hmm. You see? And so we've forgotten those stories. I mean, the, the, the most tragic a story getting back to the slavery issue mm-hmm. of immigration into this country was the importation of black labor. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Africans were brought in to work our farms. Mm-hmm. And we go to civil war for this. Mm-hmm. And we have the 13th and 14th Amendment. But we still you know, have segregation for another century. Mm-hmm. See, So what you're seeing is there's this immigrant population that we brought in to work. Right. And so we want their work, we just don't want them. Right. And so we've forgotten all of that. 
Mm-hmm. You see, the Italians, what we did to the Italian, the WAPs. What mm-hmm. does a WAP mean? Yeah. Without papers. Yeah. You yeah. see, we've forgotten all that language, mm-hmm. you see, and we idealize it with Columbus Day or Oktoberfest. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, the largest immigrant group in mid-19th century were the Germans. Right, right. Okay, we, we've forgotten that. Yeah. I've got this great, I've got to give it to you. Um, it's this article written by Benjamin Franklin hmm. in, from the colonial period. Hmm. And he's worried about the Germans. Mm-hmm. Because listen to what he says. They have their own schools, mm-hmm. stores, and churches, mm-hmm. right? And newspapers. Mm-hmm. He's worried about them learning English. Mm-hmm. And then he says, and the men beat their mothers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he says, and they're not the same pigment color that we are. Hmm. I'm going, a German and a Brit? I mean, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. That different? Yeah, yeah. But what you're seeing, even with Benjamin Franklin, this rejection mm-hmm. of the other, mm-hmm. of the German-speaking other, mm-hmm. you see? So it's all very human, but we've lost all those memories. And I think this is the wisdom of the scriptures, because God says, don't ever forget, mm-hmm. because when you do, you become Egypt. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens. Mm-hmm. You repeat Egypt. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see in this country. And you look at the nature of the church theologically where it, it, where part of what it's supposed to represent is the ability of God to bring people together and reconcile them to one another and help what I would call a positive assimilation happen, which isn't that you become like me, but we, we together appreciating who we are work together side by side. Um, that's another important trajectory mm-hmm. of the scripture mm-hmm. as well. Well, I, I, I think that what we're, what we're talking about here, you know, it. In one sense, it, it when you talk your way through it, you can begin to see it. But on the other hand, it's such a different way of thinking about reading scripture than the way mm-hmm. most of us were taught. Mm-hmm. That it, it it takes some time, I think, in reflection to kind of get your hands around how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, let Let's come back to the one piece. So so we've got this situation in which we've got these themes, and and there should be. There should be a feel, you know, people want us to go back to being a Christian country, but they don't want us to extend a hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How does that work? Right, right, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, so, so let's put all, try and put all the pieces together. What do you do with the, or what kinds of things? We've already said this is somewhat open-ended in terms of how you address the particulars. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you put the law piece in with the other stuff? How, mm-hmm. do, you, how do you make the ethical reflection uh, a reflection of the whole of the canon. Mm-hmm. Well, in the law piece, and mm-hmm. if you want me to go somewhere else, tell yeah, me. Yeah. But the law piece, to me, that's why I think the Old Testament law is important mm-hmm. because it's grounded in creating a different kind of people. They've come out of Egypt with its social construction of reality, which was law and mm-hmm. religion mm-hmm. and hierarchy of race and economics. He takes them in the middle of nowhere, gives them another law which isn't just about sacrifices for sin, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get to Jesus and we're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's about what you eat, what you wear, whom you marry. It's building a people and a community. It's, it's building an alternative culture. Right. Okay. So if you begin, when I have the law discussion, when I present on, on immigration, I talk about law as a cultural builder mm-hmm. and identifier and definer. So the question you ask is, what does the law tell us about the heart of a country. Mm -hmm. And what the Old Testament law does is, I think you see the heart of Old Testament law in terms of what it does to the vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. 
of the time, which would have been the poor, the widows, and the orphans, and the alien, or Mm -hmm. the immigrant, whatever you want to call them. So what you see is this constant referral to these groups of people, because that tells you who you really are. Mm -hmm. So when you look at current U.S. law, the question is, what does it say about ourselves? Mm -hmm. You see, how do we treat those who are vulnerable in our midst. You see, how do we treat poor people? What kind of attitudes do we have? You see, what did segregation law in this country tell us about us? Mm-hmm. You see, mm-hmm. that's the kind of question you have to begin to ask, and that's where it gets to what you were saying about being a forgiving people. Mm-hmm. See, what does what do our attitudes about law mm-hmm. and about the kind of law that we have on immigration tell us about us mm-hmm. as Christians? If we accept it without any question. What have we just said about the church? Mm-hmm. You see, that's the kind of discussion that we need to get, and then to try to inform people about the history of immigration law, which is checkered, checkered. <laughs> uh, and you know, what's changed is the color of the people, but mm-hmm. the, the, the discrimination is, is just part of the history of, of the country. It's a cycle we go through. It's just the names of the immigrants change. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone who's listening to this or watching this, if they go back far enough, their ancestors went through the very same thing, mm-hmm. but they've probably forgotten and they've idealized it. Mm-hmm. So you have to go at immigration law. You have to talk about what law does and what it says about us. And the one I hear is kind of puzzles me. They go, oh, oh, we have the rule of law. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm going, every country in the history of the world had the rule of law. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have ancient law codes. I mean, mm-hmm. so when you say we have the rule of law, you've told me nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hammurabi is very old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so <laughs> yeah. everyone today around the world is the rule of law. I yeah. mean, so you haven't said anything. Mm-hmm. The question you have to ask is, what kind of law do we have? Mm-hmm. Is it a good law or a law that needs to be worked? And what are the, what are the motivations and what are the values that drive the law? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the Christian contribution, because ideally, biblically, I think, is that it will ground what we think would be good immigration law, which we need, mm-hmm. um, in a different set of values mm-hmm. than sometimes is out in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So those of us who want immigration reform, you get the caricature. So, oh, you just want open borders. And mm-hmm. I go, well, I don't think anyone's talking like that, because mm-hmm. nobody is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there may be some kind of radical out there who mm-hmm. is, but what you're talking about is a different kind of immigration law that is covers the waterfront instead of just entry and all these kinds of things. So, so what are the values that are going to drive that kind of discussion, and what is the place of the Bible and Christian faith in that discussion mm-hmm. that we can inform at least uh, at the value level, and now the Bible becomes our moral compass, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't give us the recipe mm-hmm. for what we need to so do. So it might not write the law for us, but it tells us what attitudes should go into the writing of those laws. What attitudes and what values we want the law to reflect. reflect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, I mean, we've only just scratched the, the surface. surface. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, – but uh, hopefully this is a, a, a glimpse and it's an initial one. I'm sure we'll come back to this again and again and again because it is – you know, dealing with the ethical reflection, the scripture's deep, and it and it just uh, it's not something that you just absorb in a soundbite. It's something that really takes a reflection and a lifetime of study to appreciate uh, the depth of the riches of what's going on in scripture and the way in which it engages life and the 
various tensions and angles that come from it. So I appreciate you taking the time with us to be a part of this discussion and to, to kind of lead us into an ethical discussion. Or? I will mention the – yes, we will do the promo. <laughs> uh, uh, now, you originally wrote this how long ago? The first edition? 2008. Was, this 2000. one is coming out – well, by the time this shows – It'll be out. It'll be out. Yeah. This is, this is Christians of the Border, Immigration, Church, and the Bible, second edition by M. Daniel Carroll Rodas. And uh, um, uh, this is uh, a, a revision and expansion of an earlier version which works through um, the history of the discussion, elements of the sociology of what's going on, as well as the Old Testament, New Testament values, that kind of thing, and just kind of gets a person oriented by taking an, an exemplary look at the uh, exemplary look at the at the ethical dimensions of the question and thinking through it biblically. Yep. So I thank you for uh, for being a part of the of the Table podcast, and we thank you for joining us. This is the Table where we discuss issues of God and culture. For listening to the Table Podcast, Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits Podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.